Hey guys, welcome to Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. I'm Dr. John Berardi, co-founder of Precision Nutrition, and if you're not familiar with us, over the last 15 years, we've become the world's largest online nutrition, fitness, and health coaching company. Most interesting for health and fitness pros, we've turned the lessons learned coaching over 200,000 clients into a complete nutrition and health coaching system called the Precision Nutrition Certification. It's the industry's most recognized career-changing coaching system anywhere. In this podcast, which is a mix of recorded articles, interviews, and roundtable discussions, myself and my Precision Nutrition colleagues will coach you on growing your business, helping more people, and becoming a better coach. We'll help you become more than a personal trainer, strength coach, or nutritionist. We'll help you become the complete fitness professional. So let's get started. Hey guys, JB here. Just wanted to welcome you to this video seminar. Dr. Krista Scott Dixon and I recorded it live in Toronto, Ontario. And in the seminar, we'll be talking about motivational interviewing one of our favorite tools for helping people overcome obstacles to change. Whether it's changing how they eat, how they exercise, or cutting back on things like smoking or drinking alcohol, motivational interviewing is one of the most useful tools that we've found. So we outline the approach, talk about how we use it in fitness and nutrition, share some thoughts on what makes people resistant to change. Trust me, this will blow your mind. I have to say, our friends in Canada really got a lot out of this workshop, and we had an absolute blast presenting it. So get comfortable, get out a pen and paper for notes, and enjoy the show. Well, as announced, I'm John Berardi, and today I'm really excited to be talking about a topic that isn't often talked about in fitness. Uh, it's something that I think could possibly be one of the most valuable tools that you guys will ever learn from a coaching perspective. Uh, that many of you probably never even heard of. And so I'm really excited to expose you to it, and I'm also really excited to introduce you to uh, Dr. Krista Scott Dixon, who's with me today. She's one of Canada's experts in this particular area. She's one of the people who turned me on to it. And so we're just gonna go back and forth today. So today's gonna be a little bit of a lecture, a little bit of workshop. Might even call some of you guys up here to play change psychology with us a little bit. So that'll be really fun. So today's topic, as you saw, is called motivational interviewing, how to really help clients eat and live better. How many of you have heard of motivational interviewing? Hands up, please. Wow, so many of you. Have any of you practiced it or like tried it or? Seriously, that's pretty amazing. Are you guys taught that as part of good life curriculum or something? I've never seen this in my entire life. That's great, so we're gonna play motivational interviewing with one of the best today. And you know, for me personally, motivational interviewing was extremely eye-opening. Now, I know you guys have heard about it. Awesome. I know you guys have practiced it a little. Has anyone actually worked their way through the book? Oh, there you go. I think I had to read the thing like freaking seven times before I got it. It was worth doing. It was just a lot of reads of this material because it's clinical. It's, it's kind of dense clinical material. And I mean, it, like any other tool, there's, there's this opportunity for it to be weirdly fetishized, like I do motivational interviewing, as if it's this thing, but really it is, it's just talking with people. It's interacting with other human beings in a way that helps them achieve a result. That's what motivational interviewing is. And very specifically, it's a way of helping people overcome obstacles to change, okay? That's, that's really what it is. And I remember when I was first exposed to it, the biggest aha moment that I had 
and I just wanted to share it with you just as a setup for what Krista's going to teach, is this. See, I was always under the impression that if I really cared, which I always have, that's why I'm in this field, you didn't get involved in this field, correct me if I'm wrong, to make a lot of money, because you're like, oh, they get paid so much over in fitness, I'm going there. No, you actually care, you give a shit, you want to help people. You probably in some way changed your life through fitness, so you're like, I want to do that for others, right? So I felt like if I really care as much as I do, if I'm this passionate about helping people change, if I'm coming from a really good place, then I could either not make people better or make them better. But it never occurred to me that as much as I cared and as passionate as I felt, I could be making them worse. In other words, less likely to change. And when I learned that through motivational interviewing and other techniques, it was really eye-opening to me. I was like, well, wait a second. As much as I care, as passionate as I feel, as much as I want to help this mom or this dude or whomever get better, I could be making them less likely to do the thing they hired me to do. Isn't that kind of mind-blowing in some ways? I don't know, it was for me. You guys might be like, duh, <laughs> I get it. But for me, it totally blew my mind. I'm like, and in many cases, the more passionate I felt about helping someone change, the less likely I was to help them change. So here's an example, and I'll just keep it like a surface example. Let's say you have a client who you're trying to help with their nutrition, and you know they eat, need to eat more fruits and vegetables, whatever. This is just one example. You can insert 100 different examples here. And so on the spectrum, there's eat more veggies and there's eat less veggies, right? And so say on that spectrum, they're like here in terms of really wanting to do it. They're like, yeah, I get it, but every time I ate vegetables growing up, I thought they were nasty and I hate vegetables. Has you ever, a client ever said that to any? No, never, right? I, but I don't like vegetables, right? This is like a play vegetable track, right? Client vegetable track. But I don't like vegetables. But I don't like vegetables. This is in a hundred voices, the same story, right? So as a coach, you're like, but I really want you to eat more vegetables. So I'm going to tell you all the reasons why. And I'm going to put so much care and passion into this that you won't be able to not eat more vegetables. But really what was happening was this. The more I wanted them to, the more I entreated them to, the more I encouraged them to, they were going in the opposite direction. It wasn't like they were not going to eat more vegetables or stay the same. It was like they were going to go the other direction. They were going to flip me the bird and do the exact opposite of what I was begging them to do. It was amazing to me. that, And when I saw it through this lens, I realized, honestly, holy shit, I'm doing this every day to clients. I'm making them less likely to change. Weird. So that was like one mind-blowing thing for me with motivational interviewing. And there's a real psychology behind this, right? You've ever thought about it? Like, think about a scenario where, let's say you kind of wanted to change something in your life. It might not be fitness related. It might be something totally different. And in your mind, you're like, yeah, I'm really working through this. I think I might make some changes. Now, let's say you have a parent or a partner who's involved, okay? And they've never mentioned anything before. But all of a sudden, they start bringing it up with you maybe nagging you, maybe saying, yeah, you know what, you should change this thing about yourself. So all of a sudden you go from this place where you're like in the middle trying to decide if you want to change something or not, and then some third party starts telling you you should change, and what's your response? All right, fuck it, I'm not changing anything. <laughs> I'm not doing it, right? Because when someone argues for change with you, 
What is your natural reaction to go the other way, argue against change? It's just our human nature. And we know that. You know that. You've done it in your life in different contexts. But somehow we forget that when it comes to clients. We figure the more we tell them that they're going to die a horrible young death if they don't get fit, uh, the more we encourage them, the more we give them strategies, the more likely they are to change. But it's not true. The more we argue for change, the more they're going to argue against it and resist. And it's often because people feel this thing that's talked about in motivational interviewing called ambivalence. And it's just a conceptual thing. And you can kind of get it. Does anyone know what the definition of ambivalence is? What is it? Stuck, is, that's a great analogy for it. It's like when you want to do something, but you don't, right? And I'll give you an example of that. Okay, I have this great, cute little example in my life. So I have three children, and my middle child, he's two and a half. And he is just, he is like sunshine in a person. He's like always smiling. He's always happy. He wants you to smile. It's all positive energy. It's wonderful and it's amazing. And when you're in the room with them, you can't help but just feel good. Now, what you get, though, with a bundle of energy kid is that they wake up early. They are always in your grill. And I like to sleep in in the morning, okay? So I usually like to sleep till about 8.30 if I can. But without fail, around 7 o'clock, I hear the door. I hear, okay, this is the guy pulling himself up onto the bed. And then he runs across my face and across my genitals, and it's just like the worst wake up in history. And it's every day, right? So I'm constantly bitching about this to my wife. So I'm like, ah, and this is killing me. Like, you know how much I need my sleep. Like, I'm worthless without my sleep. And this little kid, God love him, but he's waking me up every morning. And so one day while I was out, she put a lock on the bedroom door, right? So she's like, all right, well, I fixed your problem. There's a lock on the bedroom door. You can lock it. He's never going to bother you again in the morning. And damn me if I've never locked that door. It's been months. I've never once locked the door. That, my friends, is ambivalence, right? I want to, but I don't. Why haven't I locked the door? Any, any ideas? Yeah, <laughs> there's a part of me that might enjoy that, right? In fact, this ambivalence and this option, it gave me a real choice to make here, expressed my real value system, didn't it? I said that I valued sleep the most, but really what I value is time with my children the most. And when I had to make a hard choice, I chose the thing that was more valuable to me, even though I've never stopped complaining about the morning wake-up since. Okay? That's ambivalence. I'm wondering, just if you guys could take a second, I'm not going to make you do an exercise or anything, but think, is there something in your life that you feel ambivalence about right now? Something in your life that you want to, but you don't want to. It could be a relationship. Relationships are beautiful for this. Two girlfriends get together, one's like that guy you're dating, you got to get rid of him. He's kind of a jerk, he's really mean to you, he runs you down in public, etc. And then you're like, well, yeah. But he can be a nice guy at times. So you want to, but you don't. Is there something? Just think about it, right? Think about it. And as you're thinking through how challenging, how frustrating, how uncertain you feel about that, hold in place that that is how every single client feels when they come to you for advice. And this is where it hits home for me, OK? You're like, how come this lazy person won't eat their protein and vegetables? 
Well, how come that dude didn't lock the door? How come you didn't dump the asshole boyfriend? Right? Because there's ambivalence. And when you appreciate and accept that, you can actually come to a coaching place. And before you appreciate and accept that, you can't be a coach at all, okay? Because you're just assuming something about the person that's simply not true. So that's my ambivalence case study. So that's what I want you to think about. Next time you feel like a client is difficult or problematic or lazy, remember the place in your life where you're ambivalent about something or you want to but you don't, and then try and reevaluate their situation, okay? So at this point, I think it's a very appropriate time to introduce my trusted friend and colleague here, Krista Scott Dixon. She works with me at PN and has for a very long time. That makes us sound really old, but it's, it's okay. We are old. And uh, Krista's really an expert on this. Um, so that's why I wanted to bring her here today and go through some workshopping of this concept. And I'll be up here and I'll help out when required. And we may even bring a few of you guys up here as well to talk about this stuff. But Krista's the person who turned me on to this. Obviously, I'm really passionate and excited about it because I think it opens a whole world of possibilities for our coaching that never really existed and we were never trained on before. And uh, so Krista, take it away. Well, welcome. Thanks all to you for coming. Um, so as JB got us thinking about, let's return to this question of where you feel stuck. Because often when we feel ambivalence, we kind of feel stuck. It's not comfortable to be ambivalent about things a lot of the time. Because often we feel like we should make a decision. Right? Should I stay? Should I go? Should I eat the sandwich? I don't know. It has carbs. Uh, you know, often ambivalence keeps us stuck, and, and that's kind of anxiety. It makes us like, ugh, it's just icky. It just feels icky. Right? Very few of us are comfortable just hanging out with our ambivalence. We tend to feel like it makes us kind of stuck. So really do think about situations right now. It could be totally banal, everyday situations like, oh, I should clean my garage, but I don't, or I should get a haircut, but I don't know. Like, it can be completely banal, but just take a minute and think, where do you feel stuck? Career, relationships, finances, again, cleaning out the garage, whatever. Just kind of hang on to that for one second. Before we go there to talking about motivational interviewing specifically, I just want to kind of get this on the table right now. We're an evidence-based company. We use what works. We've had, I don't know, 20,000 clients to date. They will find anything that doesn't work and nail us to the wall with it. So the reason that we use motivational interviewing is it works. It works. We don't use things that don't work. We try them <laughs> and discover they don't work, and, and here we are. So motivational interviewing works. Now, it requires a significant leap of faith a lot of the time. It requires you as a practitioner to get uncomfortable, to sit in the icky place with your client, but I assure you that it works. Here are many of the things that we do as well-meaning coaches. So a client comes to us and they want to change something, so we might explain to them why changing is good. Oh, you know, quitting smoking is a good idea because blah, blah, blah. We might advise them to change. Well, you really should change because, let me tell you what I think, right? You should dump that guy, whatever. We might warn them what will happen if they don't change and discourage them from delaying. 
So if you don't get this weight off you now, you're looking at a future of type 2 diabetes, clock is ticking, you're not that young, etc. We might helpfully suggest how this person can change, right? I have some ideas for you to eat some more vegetables or how to quit smoking. We might, if we are what I call the coach hard-ass type, we might direct the person, tell them what to do. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to drop and give me 50 push-ups. Okay? Or we might use the word should or must. You really must get this weight off. You really should quit smoking. We might disagree with them and get arguing with them if the person resists. Right? They might be like, well, I like being vegetarian. And you're like, yeah, but don't you know you should eat meat? Here's a bunch of studies that tells you that you should eat meat. Right? We'll argue with them. That seemed quite logical to us. We might analyze what their real issues are. You know, you're lazy, you're stupid, you have mother issues, you're being resistant, whatever. Right? And we may do this in our heads or to their face, depending. Right? And finally, again, if we're being quite helpful, we might reassure them that they will be successful in making the change. Now, all y'all do this. We all do it. <laughs> it's a very human impulse. So what I'd like now is for a few people to confess their situations of ambivalence. So come clean, a few of you, and tell us what you want and don't want, where you're feeling stuck, who is willing to share their stuckness. All right, what are you stuck about? Um, studying. Studying. You hate studying. Yeah. Tell me. Any reason not to do it. Okay, so you. I have the book in front of me, and I've got all the like, intention to study, and it's all there. I've got my snacks, my drinks, and my cell phone, and anything else to do with the universe. Okay. So you feel like you should study, but you don't. I want to. Okay. I want to want to. You want to, yeah. even. Okay. That's a really good example. I'll come back to it in a second. Other folks want to share your ambivalence? Yes. <laughs> That's good. I like it. I like the honesty. I like it. No, we're getting vulnerable here. It's nice. Um, so you feel like you should complete the certification, and yet, yeah. And so you, you don't do it, or you avoid it, or put other things in front of it. Okay, great example. And I like that everyone is kind of, we've now gotten real with this. One more. Anyone else want to confess to their stuckness? All right, keeping the house tidy and organized and clean. And that's a really good one because it seems so banal in every day, but it significantly affects you know, our quality of life and quality of thinking and so forth. So let me, let me ask you to come up and share your ambivalence a little bit more with us. And I'll get you to sit right where JB is sitting. What do you want to study for, by the way? Um, yeah. Everything. 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 <laughs> study for everything. OK. Cool. So she should be studying. We can all agree studying is good. Um, but she is not. So let us help convince her that she should and must indeed be studying. How would we convince her? Using these techniques. Anyone. You don't have to go in order. Yeah, you don't have to go in order. Pick your favorite technique. Yes. Exactly. If you don't study, you're going to fail at everything in your life. Yes. What else? You can totally do it. Like, you're a really smart person. And if you just put your mind to it, I, I have so much confidence in you. You can totally do it. You know what you need is a schedule. Schedule is really helpful. Because, like, I use Google Calendar that helps me book all my appointments. And you should just book yourself an appointment to study. I do. I do book myself an appointment. 
Good, good. No, you should book just it do it though. Just do it. Yeah, you should just yeah, totally just do it. Like, stop giving me excuses. I want you. Look, I've seen you do other things successfully. Not really. I just matter. But you have to, just do it. Okay, just do it. Just woman up, ovary up, whatever you do, whatever you girls do, and do it. Studying is very important. Um, you know, research shows that women, especially who don't have advanced education, are much more likely to live in poverty. So your wages will be lower, you're going to have a crappy job, you're not going to you know, make anything of yourself. Probably you will die alone with a few cats or something like that. But almost certainly you will be doomed to a future of precarious, crappy jobs. I know why you're not studying. Mm. I know why she's not studying. You have fear of failure, fear of success. You're worried that if you study and do really, really well, you're not going to be able to cope with all the wonderful things that happen to you as a result. How are you feeling right now? I feel awesome. You're gonna die alone with a cat as a failure. I'm allergic to cats, by the way. <laughs> so that's crappy. Are you motivated to study now? Not even a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Give her uh, a round of applause. Very good. We might have you up in, in a few minutes to talk about that drinking problem of yours as well. <laughs> so clearly we have had a coaching failure here. So not only does your client feel less motivated to change, they actively feel worse. But yet we did things that seem like good ideas, right? Giving advice. JB was very reassuring at one point. You know, he said he believed in her, right? Before the horrible thing was going to happen to her. So Clearly this is a fail, and yet we do these techniques all the time. And the reason we demonstrate it is because you feel it now. You feel how crappy that feels. Like even actually saying it made me feel crappy and anxious, and I was like, I'm not studying either, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you really have to feel what it's like to be a client, and the awkwardness of sitting there Imagine being a client, you come in and your coach is all like super buff and they probably eat a million vegetables and you're there and you're thinking about the cinnamon bun you just ate and it's like sticking to your arteries and you're like all lumpy and <laughs> self-conscious. I mean, you're already starting at a disadvantage as a client, right? So as a coach, we have to be very, very sensitive to this. And now, so here's something that I think JB touched on, but I want to remind you of. We're all here, most of us, because we want to help people. We want to do good work in the world. We want to help people be healthier and fitter and happier and have better lives. But often that desire to help overwhelms us to the point where we can't slow ourselves down. We can't let our clients be ambivalent. We can't let them sit in their own filth right, and just be there. Because we want to help them so bad and we want to help them right now. right? So. People who want to help in the worst way usually do. So a lot of this comes from a good place. It's not because you're jerks. It's because you want to help. So I think that's really, really key to remember here. So here's the crazy thing we're going to say today, which is that client resistance or rebellion or pushback or whatever you want to call it, if you have a difficult client, if you have a resistant client, it's your fault. And all y'all are like, what? <laughs> That's mean. <laughs> <laughs> but here's why. 
If your clients are pushing back against you, they need something to push against. So somehow you are giving them something to push against. You're giving them something to rebel against, to resist, to kind of frustrate you with. So it takes two to resist. And the tighter you hold on, I call this hugging the cactus, the tighter you hold on, the more that cactus stabs you, right? So the more that resistant client frustrates you and angers you and demoralizes you and depresses you and you come home to your partner and you're like, oh, I had to work with Susan today, ah, oh, she's horrible, right? But of course you try harder and harder. In fact, we might even say that the more you care, the more likely you are to inspire resistance in your clients. Because if you didn't care, your client would come in and they'd be like, yeah, I'm drunk, and you're like, all right, whatever, right? <laughs> There's no resistance there. But when your client comes in, they're like, yeah, I had a bad day, and you're like, oh, no, we talked about this, right? You care so much. You're unconsciously creating that rebellion for them. So let's back up and talk a little bit about change. This is kind of how we think change looks, right? I call this the New Year's resolution phenomenon, right? You're like, yes, 5 a.m., January 1st, I'm going to get out of bed and I'm going to run, and then I'm going to floss, and I'm going to call my mom, and it's going to be awesome, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And of course, change really looks a lot more like this, right? There's a push and a pull, and there's like, I don't know, maybe a bunch of things pulling on you. Maybe it's not just two things. There are different things pushing and pulling you in different directions. So here's how to understand what behavior is. You can think of behaviors as three things. First, a behavior is a way to solve a problem. So if I have a drinking problem, I'm probably trying to solve something with that drinking. I don't like being sad. I'm going to drink. Actually, I, was, <laughs> I just came back from Vancouver, and I spent my last day sitting on a patio out in the sun. And uh, there was a woman behind us who was getting progressively more inebriated. And this was becoming increasingly fascinating to us. Because she was like that kind of almost like a TV drunk lady, like, you know, like, talking like to the waiter like this, and I'm going to have some more French fries, and all y'all can go to hell, and like, this was like, wow, is this for real? So we were trying to figure out, like, what's going on here, and then she was talking on a cell phone. She was one of those drunk people that calls people, so she was calling all her friends, and she was like, yeah, I just broke up with that asshole today, and we're like, boom, there it is. Break up in the morning, drunk by 3 p.m., right? <laughs> So for her, having 10 beers is solving the problem of feeling bad about a breakup, right? Maybe not how you would solve it, but it's one way of solving it. The second thing about priorities is they show what we really value, what we really value, right? Because we can all talk a big line, right? Oh, I value eating healthy, blah, 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 right? But really, it's about what you do. And this is true of your coaching practice in general. Your clients will remember what you do. They won't remember what you say, necessarily. They might. They probably won't remember what you wear, whether you had a nice hat. They will remember what you do and how you made them feel. So 
We live our values through our behaviors. So if I tell you I want to lose weight, but I'm in the ice cream, I don't really want to lose weight. Okay? There's something more important to me. And finally, behaviors help us cope. Again, you know, maybe I broke up, maybe I'm having a bad day, whatever. Behaviors somehow help me deal with the world. So your client may not be motivated to work out. Maybe they're motivated to lie on the couch. But everyone is always motivated to do something. It's just not always the something you want them to do. So Homer Simpson is extremely motivated. He's just motivated to lie on the couch and eat donuts. So this is something you have to remember. There always is a motivation for something. Again, it's just not always what you want them to do. And I think this illustrates it, right? What do I do here? This is really funny. I better take a picture, and then I'll save my kid. So people have competing priorities. Time for my family, time for myself. You know, take care of me, take care of other people, and so forth. So people are coming to you as clients with like a whole bunch of different competing priorities in their lives. So here are some questions that you can immediately start asking yourself. Like you can walk out of here today and start asking these questions about other people. How does this behavior help my client or anyone else solve a problem? Express what is important to them? Or avoid pain or cope with life? So you can walk out of here today and start looking at people on the subway, right? Why is that guy doing that? How is that helping him solve a problem, right? Express his values, avoid pain or cope with life. These are great questions to ask. Well, I'm back. Hope you enjoyed the workshop. If we're up to me, you'd walk away remembering a few things. First, it's possible, even likely, that the more passion and enthusiasm you feel for helping people change, the more likely you are to push them away from changing. Second, most people feel some or much ambivalence about changing. They want to, but they don't want to. And the harder you push, the more they'll push back. Finally, every single good or bad behavior a client has actually helps them solve a problem, express their values, or avoid pain. Just remember, if you're either paid to help others improve their health or you just help friends and family because you can, it's important to understand how change really happens and to channel all your care, passion, and enthusiasm into actually helping instead of driving people away from change. If you want to learn more about using change psychology in the fitness and nutrition space, we'd be happy to lend a hand. In the coming weeks, through our Precision Nutrition Certification course, we'll be taking a group of trainers and coaches and teaching them how to deliver world-class coaching to every type of client. It's the industry's most respected coaching certification program, and if you like this seminar, I know you'll get a lot out of it. To find out more, just click the link below this video, because if you're interested in learning a proven system, deepening your education, and boosting your credentials, then I know you'll love the certification. Check it out. Okay, everyone, that's it for this week's edition of Precision Nutrition's The Complete Fitness Professional Podcast. 
For more information about how to become the complete fitness professional yourself and for some awesome free nutrition and coaching resources, come visit us on the web at www.precisionnutrition.com. You could also visit us on Facebook or on Twitter at InsidePN. Talk to you next time.